Welcome to the Bradleyville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We are located at 25861 State Highway 76 in Bradleyville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. with worship to follow at 10.30 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now enjoy our lesson. Today we're going to continue our discussion in looking at lessons from the, the New Testament church, one of the things that we, that we strive for in, in this body of Christ is to be the first century church of the 21st century. If we'll do what they did, we'll be what they were. If we'll believe what they did, we'll, we'll be what they were, right? So that's what we're striving to understand. And we began the year by asking the question, shouldn't church be more? Sometimes we may leave the worship or we leave an assembly where we, we, we look at our experience in church and we think, shouldn't it be more than that? Shouldn't it be more than what I, what, simply what I feel or what I'm experiencing? And we talked about the fact that part of the problem with church in general, if you look at the cross of the, the landscape today, is that it's, it's based on a business model, right? It's based on a model of producers and consumers based on a model of marketing and programs and, and things that, that a business would do. And, and it's not necessarily that that, that, that could be wrong, but it, it, it bears the fruit of a business, right? And when your consumers dry up, the business dries up. Or when your programming doesn't meet the needs of the, of the consumers, the, the programs aren't effective. But when you look at the New Testament, and this is what we this is what we we really honed in on. What when you look at the New Testament church, the church that Jesus promised to build in Matthew chapter sixteen, that He did build in Acts chapter two, what you see is a family. You see a group of people who were committed to each other. They were united together. They were they were so intricately woven into each other's lives that it hurt when they were apart from each other. And so we looked at the church of Jerusalem, and we saw how they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayer, Acts chapter 2. How they were committed to, to supporting each other, so much so that they were willing to sell their, they were willing to sell their four-wheelers, right? And they were willing to sell their possessions to help support each other. And, and they, were, they were committed to the Word of God. We saw last week in the church in Antioch, how that when a church really strives to fulfill the mission that Jesus gave his apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, including Gentiles, that God will bless that congregation. That was a congregation we saw that when they began to preach the word to the Gentiles, that the church exploded. When they practiced encouragement, the church exploded. When they, when they were about the business of God, God blessed them. And in particular, he gave them a new name. He gave them the name Christian. And today we want to look at those churches that now are being planted, that are, being, are, that are coming to life, those families in Christ that are coming together in Paul's first missionary journey, those churches in Asia. And so I've got a map up here, and it may be a little bit hard to see where you're sitting from, but this represents the first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas would go on. And if you want to read about this, you can go to Acts chapter 13 and 14, and you're going to see how in Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, that there are certain prophets and teachers in the church in Antioch, and among them are Saul and Barnabas. And the Holy Spirit says, I want you to set apart Saul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Saul, for the work that I have prepared them for, I have intended for them. 
And so they, they lay hands on them. They, it shows their, their approval and their, their, their commissioning of these men. They send them out and they travel. They go from Antioch to, to uh, the coast, Seleucia. They travel to Cyprus. And they travel across Cyprus preaching the gospel. And they interact with a man named Sergius Paulus and another fellow, Bar-Jesus or Elamus, who, who was a false prophet. And you remember how they, they, Paul blinded him for a period of time because of his... his um, Opposition to the Word of God, and that's also where, where Saul now becomes Paul. He begins to be known by the name Paul. They traveled from Cyprus up to the, the, the Asia Minor to what we would call the region of Turkey today, and they begin to preach in different cities. And they go to uh, they go to Antioch and Pisidia, and they go to uh, Lystra and to Derbe and Iconium. They travel preaching the Word of God first to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, and they're they're planting families. They're putting in place the body of Christ in these cities. And what I want to focus on today is, as they're returning, they begin to do something. They begin to strengthen the church. What does strengthening the church look like? If you were to pick out some things that a, that a congregation could do to strengthen itself, or that somebody coming into the community could do to strengthen the church, what would you, what would you say? Well, here's what, here's what the scriptures say. If you've got your Bibles open to Acts chapter 14, we're going to start there, and then we're going, to, we're going to jump to some other passages. But I want you to see here what was going on that Paul and Barnabas were doing to strengthen the church. What, uh, Jacob read for us in chapter 14, beginning in verse 21. And when they preached the gospel to that city, that's Derby. They, and made many disciples there. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. Here's what they were doing. First off, they were exhorting them, <clears throat> excuse me, exhorting them to continue in the faith. First thing we're going to do when, we, when we're strengthening churches, we're going to exhort each other to continue in the faith. What does that look like? Stay faithful. One of the reasons why we do our daily Bible reading is to encourage us to stay faithful to God's Word, to grow in God's Word. Stay faithful to the assembly. Stay faithful to the body. Stay faithful to the principles of Christ, those elementary principles that we study. Stay faithful to God. When trials and tribulations come, when struggles come at work, when struggles come at home, stay faithful to God. They're exhorting them. So that means they're speaking... They're speaking words of encouragement and, and, and exhortation to strive towards faithfulness. And they're also saying we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. And so they are up undergirding, you might say. They're edifying these people because they know that tribulation is going to come. They've experienced tribulation. By this point in time, Paul's already been stoned in Lystra. Anybody here been stoned before? That's what Paul's experiencing. So he's, he's going on the churches. He's telling them, listen, these are the kind of things that are going to happen. But you're going to experience these tribulations as you are entering the kingdom. As you're, as you're existing in the kingdom of Christ, you're going to experience tribulation. Another thing they did was they appointed elders. <clears throat> and this is, this is what I really want to focus on. It says they exhorted them to continue in the faith and saying we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church... And prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they also believed. If you go over to Titus, we will go to Titus in just a little bit. If you go to Titus chapter 1, one of the reasons that Titus was left in um, Crete was to appoint elders in every city. What does that mean? And what, what are elders and why are they important, particularly to strengthening the church? 
to growing the body of Christ and to edifying it, to building it up substantially. That's what we want to think about today. How do they, how do they operate? And what's the purpose of, of elders in the church? And the first way we see is they strengthen through leadership. Anybody ever been a part of a mob that just didn't have any leadership? And you think about how it just goes wherever, right? Bodies of people without leadership bring chaos. And one of the things that Jesus would institute is he's putting together, as he's building his church, he's, if we think about Jesus building the church in Acts chapter 2, and that's where it begins, right? But he continues to flesh it out as the church matures. We saw, and you can go back to the church in Jerusalem, and you can see that they had elders there. But one, this is the first time we really see the appointment of elders in, in new churches. And what was the purpose of the, of the eldership? The concept of elder was not new, particularly to the Jews, because this was something that existed in, in a lot of different cultures, but particularly in Judaism, to the Israelites, elders were, were well known. You can go all the way back to the, to the book of Exodus. And you can, matter of fact, turn over there to Exodus chapter 18, and I want to show you one of the purposes of the elders in the, in the old law. These were particularly men who were mature in age, um, but they, it wasn't so simply that they, they were elders because they got old. It wasn't, they weren't elders just simply because they were older than everybody else. It was because they had certain characteristics. And notice here in Acts chapter 18 that there's a situation that's, a, that's arisen that Moses is trying to deal with here. And I'm going to put my bookmarker there so I can come back to that. There's a situation that's arisen in which Moses is, Moses is responsible for, for adjudicating issues between Israelites. There's an issue between, between me and Greg, right? And so we're struggling, and we're going to go to Moses, and Moses is going to figure out, and, but Moses is getting overwhelmed because we're talking about a large body of people. When they come out of Egypt, there's over 600,000 men, plus the women and the children and the, and, the, and the stragglers that come with them. So Moses is wrestling with the situation, and his father-in-law Jethro, who's a pretty wise fellow, he says, listen, you need some help. You need to appoint some people to help you to judge. And so we see in Exodus chapter 18, beginning verse 21. Moreover, you shall select from all the people. This is, this is um, uh, verse 17, Moses' father-in-law speaking to him here. Verse 21. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds and rulers of fifties, and rulers of ten, and let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they, shall, they themselves shall judge. So it shall be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. So you think about our current court system, and we have that kind of structure in our court system today, right? You start with the lowest courts, and you work your way up to the next level, and the next level, and the next level, and the next level. And this is what we see set up in Israel. But it wasn't just simply adjudication. It wasn't just simply judging. These men had leadership responsibilities. You go on into the story of Israel, and when they come into the promised land and they set up, they, they move into the cities that were built there, the elders were responsible for kind of overseeing the city. They, they, would, they, would, they would sit at the gate of the city sometimes, and they would monitor people who were coming in. And if somebody had a case, they would go to the elders at the gate, and they would, they would uh, put the case before the, the elders, and the elders would decide. Uh, you see this in, in, in uh, various stories. One, the first one to come to mind is the story of Ruth and how Boaz goes to the elders of the city, the people who sit in the gate. 
right? And he and he petitions them on behalf of Ruth and Naomi, on first on their land and their possessions, and then on Ruth herself. So the elders have a responsibility. And so when we move to the New Testament, we see a similar type of concept and a similar type of responsibility with um, with their roles and their character. And so I want to begin in Acts chapter twenty, and I want to show you how leadership looks particularly at the hands of the elders. What, what's the elders, what are the elders' responsibilities? What are the jobs in the body of Christ, and in particular in the local congregation? Paul, uh, in Acts chapter 20, is traveling back towards Jerusalem. He's come, to, he's, he's, he's come to Miletus, and he calls for the Ephesian elders. He's He's within traveling distance of Ephesus, and re- but rather than go to Ephesus and speak with the elders there, he calls them and says, hey, we come here, I want, I want to talk with you. And so he brings them there, and he's going to encourage them, uh, first off, by helping them to remember his example, the example that he had set for them, how that he had publicly and from house to house taught the word of God, how he had revealed to them the whole counsel of God. But he's going to give them particularly a warning in Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 28. And actually, it's all in verse 28. He says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. So the first thing you should pause right there. First thing the elders' responsibilities are is to take heed to themselves. Right? Every Christian has a responsibility to take heed to themselves. But in particular, the elders, because they are the leaders, they have a responsibility to take heed to themselves. To watch out that sin doesn't creep in, that Satan doesn't find a foothold. And we'll see more about this when we get over the qualifications of elders or the qualities of elders. But they have a responsibility to look out for themselves, but also to the flock, right? Well, when you think of flock, what do you think of? Sounds like the shepherd, right? And we'll see that, we'll see that again. But they have a responsibility to take heed to the sheep, take, take heed to the, 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 the people that are part. Well, what's taking heed look like? You gotta go see them, right? You gotta be in their lives. You gotta have interaction with people. You gotta know when there's issues going on and know how to address those issues. Now you understand why we're looking for wise men. We're looking for people who have leadership skills, who have, have knowledge, and particularly wisdom in God's word. These people were to these men were to take heed to themselves and to the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, it's important to note here that they were overseers of the church. That, that, that Greek word there, episkopos, means to, to literally to have view over. And the, the, best, the best analogy that I can help you think of is, is think about what a... Anybody here been a superintendent of a school before? No? <laughs> What's a superintendent do? They superintend. They, have, they, they oversee the intentions of the school, right? That's what oversight is. Episcopos and a, a, a bishop here, you might say, is one who has oversight over the church. They have they have the, the prerogative to overlook the church, to pay attention to it. Now, one of the things that superintendents can do sometimes is they can get down in the weeds, and sometimes they can cause problems. But but if they're really doing their job, they have they have a purview that's you might say a ten thousand foot view right over the church. They're overseeing the church to make sure that that the people that are in their purview. Are, are taken care of, that they're fed, that they're nourished, that they're spiritually guarded and, and kept and, and corralled at times and, and exhorted and rebuked. And it all comes in together as well in this next phrase. 
He says that they are to uh, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I love that picture. You think about what a shepherd does, right? A shepherd basically provides every necessity for the sheep. He makes sure they come out of the fold in the morning. He makes sure they come back of the fold at night. And everything in between, the shepherd helps provide for them. And you think back to the shepherd psalm, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Who leads the sheep to the green pasture? The shepherd does, right? Who takes them beside the still water? Not the fast-flowing water that might be a cause of, of fear for the sheep. He takes them by still waters. That's the role of the shepherd. And the Greek word here, pormaneo, is the same word that we would see translated over in Ephesians chapter 4 as the pastors. The, the elders and the bishops are the pastors of the church. They're the shepherds. They have an oversight in a shepherd's role to guard and protect with that staff, right? They have a responsibility to discipline with the hook, to rescue, to bring back. Everything that you can picture a shepherd doing, that's their responsibility. And so they have, they have a, 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 a very strong responsibility to oversee, to take heed to, and to shepherd the church. Now, just hold your, well, yeah, we'll come back to that. Hold your finger there. Let's jump over real quick to 1 Peter. And I want you to see this again as Peter's going to speak to the elders of the church to see the same thing being reinforced. 1 Peter chapter 5. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Listen to verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. And I'm going to pause right there just for the sake of time. Peter's reinforcing the fact that elders are to be shepherds and overseers. So, how is the church strengthened by elders? By their leadership, by their oversight, by their shepherding. But is that it? You ever been around anybody who, who's had power but they didn't have character that lay, that lay behind it? They, just, they weren't good, a good person. And, and you've probably heard the term that, that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's what often happens in the hand of people who don't have strong character. So when you look at the character of elders, this is essential to the eldership. It's essential to them because they are their purpose is to strengthen the church. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3 says that they are not to lord it over. He says, um, not as being lords over those who are those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Elders are to be people who set the example for the rest of the church. There'll be people who exhibit godly character and, and do it on a regular basis. And so we see these characteristics laid out for us in passages as, such as First uh, Titus chapter 1, and 1 Timothy chapter 3. And let's, let's turn over there to Titus 1. And I want to I just show you, uh, we're not going to take time to go through all these characteristics, but I want just to point out to you some of the characteristics that an elder should, an elder must, in order to, to really be able to do his, his duties, he must be able to exhibit. Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. The first thing I want to notice here is, Paul says, I want you to 
I want you to set in order the things that are lacking. Well, what would be something that would be lacking in the church? Leadership. I want you to put this into place. I want you to help build up the church to the point where they can have leaders and then appoint them as elders. Now, notice here, think back to what Paul said to the Ephesian elders. He said that the Holy Spirit had made them over. Well, how does the Holy Spirit have a part in this? Because he is the one who, by inspiration, gives these qualifications. And he also grants the authority for them to be able to, to have this responsibility. And here's what an elder should look like. If a man is blameless, we talked about that in class, right? doesn't mean that blame won't be cast in your direction, but it means it has nothing to hold on to. There's nothing that's going to stick to because your life is, is one that is above reproach. It's going to be blameless. The husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. And so he, he, he starts off by talking about the family, that a man's going to have a wife, he's going to have children, and they're going to be faithful. What's the purpose of that? Well, men, I'll just ask you a question. What do you learn by raising kids? A lot, I would say, right? You learn how to, you learn how to discipline, but you learn how to love. You learn how to, sometimes you've got to compromise, negotiate, right? You've got to figure out solutions. But you have to, by and large, the primary responsibility of the daddy in the home is to set the direction for the house, right? to set the direction, particularly for their kids. And that direction has to be pointed at God. And so you think about a man who's going to be asked to lead the, the, the body of Christ. Would we want to ask somebody to lead the body of Christ that had a struggle leading the home? We see here that the first real qualification besides being blameless is that a man has a, a track record of leadership in the home that correlates to or translates over into leadership in the church. That's the same thing that you could say for work, really. Any place where leadership is going to be exhibited, but in particular in the body of Christ, Holy Spirit says that we want this man to have leadership skills that's already, that have already been trained by experience in the home. If for if a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled. And so you think about all these characteristics. These are pictures of Christ, right? This is a picture of what Jesus would look like if he's walking in amongst these Christians in this congregation. And it's something that the, the eldership then... Now, I want to pause here just a second. These are not superhuman Christians. These aren't super-Christians. These are, these are characteristics that all Christians should exhibit. But, in particular, the leadership of the church should exhibit these, right? And so he goes on to say, Having, Holding fast the, word of, the faithful word as he's been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince those who contradict. And so that's part of his role as shepherding, is to be able to convince and exhort those people who might be contradictory, those people who are contradictory to sound word. You see the same thing over in... in, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we won't take the time to read through all that, but I would encourage you to go back and look at those qualifications there because it speaks to the same idea that men who lead will have these characteristics because it's important for leadership. The ones I want to point out, though, and, and I do want to point out is in verse um, 
in verse 6 and 7. It says, not a novice. Why is that? Because he explains, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. What was the, what was the condemnation of the devil? It was because of his pride he lifted himself up to put him in place of God. What might happen to somebody who's a Christian, a young Christian, a new Christian, who then is given authority and responsibility, might go to his head, right? And so he says, we don't, we don't need people who's going to let it go to their heads. We want them, to, we want them to, to, to set an example, not to lord it over, as Peter would say. And the other thing is, moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. One of the things that I have seen sometimes with elders is they don't have a good testimony out in the world. They may be awful good to visit with in the church building, but you, you run into an MFA and they're not the best people to be around. Or they don't practice what they preach whenever it comes to business relationships. Sometimes that happens. And so these, these leaders are people, if they're going to strengthen the church, they need to have a good reputation with people who are outside church to help draw people in. <clears throat> um, so what we see here is elders strengthen the church through their leadership and their example. But here's the last one I want to note, and we'll, we'll do this rather quickly. They strengthen the church because they exude character that, is, that we can willingly submit to. You have somebody who's given authority, and they even have the leadership skills. They have the right skills, but you know what happens to a leader who nobody follows? They don't, they don't stay a leader very long. And so in the church, one of the responsibilities of Christians in order to be strengthened is to submit to the elders. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says that the Holy Spirit had made them overseers, made them shepherds of the church, he makes them. The Holy Spirit has a role in making these men elders and overseers. First off, he does it by the qualifications, but also because he teaches the church how to submit to authority. What does submission look like? You know, whenever I, whenever I only, whenever, whenever I was growing up, and my parents told me to clean my room, if I only went and cleaned my room because I wanted to, is that submission? No, this is me doing what I want to do, right? You know what submission looks like? It's me willingly doing what I don't necessarily want to do. I would rather be outside playing baseball, but I'm going to go clean my room because my parents told me to do it, and I'm going to do it willingly. Now, what happens sometimes is you, you kind of grumble about it a little bit, right? But as you grow and you mature, you begin to understand, like, I can do things I don't necessarily want to do, but I can do them with a willing heart, and that's what we see Particularly in, in First Peter, I want, to, I want us to note the responsibility that we, that Christians have to leadership in the church. This is verse 5. He says, likewise you younger people. And he's using younger people to offset the idea of elders being older, older men here. But it can apply to people who are older than elders, right? He says, likewise you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, also, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Actually, I had that up on the screen. Um, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. We have a duty to submit to Christian leadership. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 7 says some of the similar words. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. There's a phrase in there that 
frankly kind of scares me a little bit about the duties of elders. Can you imagine standing in the judgment day and give an account not of your own good works, but of the good works of the people that you had oversight over? It says there that, the, that those elders are going to give an account to the people that they have oversight over. They're, they have a responsibility to God to shepherd the church of God. And so it's important for us as Christians then to submit to them and to help them in their duties. How does the church grow? How is the church strengthened? Well, one way it's strengthened is by strong leadership. Now, that didn't advance like I thought it would. The Lord established the elders in the body to help strengthen and grow the church. Now, one of the things that we see as a young congregation is we don't have elders yet, right? But what are we doing to grow elders? You know, an elder's like an oak tree. It doesn't just appear overnight. These characteristics need to be grown in all Christians, but in particular, we want to encourage our young men, encourage all of our men, but in particular our young men, to grow in these graces, in these virtues, so that we can grow elders. Because that's what we see happening in the first century church. Those churches who had something lacking, a lot of it was because they didn't have leadership. I want to encourage us all to think about that. How do, how do each one of us in the role that we're in help grow godly men to be leaders in the church? Women, you, you have an opportunity in this. And men, we have an opportunity as well to speak intentionally about this with our young people, to speak intentionally about this with our, with our spouses, and, and, and to talk about how do we grow godly leadership in the church what does it look like? And how will it then strengthen the church so that we can be what God's called us to be? If we want to be the first century church of the 21st century, one of the things we need to be growing is godly leadership. Are you a Christian today? That's the first step in growing godly leadership is to be a Christian. Have you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ? You remember Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every preacher. Even in Bradenville in 2022. That gospel is the good news of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His sacrificial death on the cross for my sins and for your sins. Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day.